Welcome back to another Dr. Supercoach podcast. You're joined this week by JB and Pistol. Pistol, how are you, mate? I'm doing very well, thanks, uh, JB. I'm glad that the buys are over, um, mostly just so that I can see what my team looks like properly without, you know, all those blue dots and half of the primos on the bench um, and, you know, having to shuffle around all of them. But how did the buys go for you uh, overall? Yeah, they went well, actually. I was... I think it's well well known ish that I was ranked around the 30k mark for a good part of the season, but it goes to show when you plan the buys right and really nail your trades, you can rise up because I'm now into 7k, so a good good jump in the rankings. I've got a very good team and I'm just the one off full premium, so I'm pretty excited to get the second half of the season underway so I can sort of storm home. And you yourself, Pistol, announced on Twitter that you are full premium now. So how did your buys go for you? They went okay. They weren't as good as uh, expected, mostly because um, the second buy round, um, randomly, was actually my worst buy round, where I copped Webster and McRae and Rice, all with 18 players. So uh, that hurt a lot, but I dominated the the other buy round, so I did move into uh, 649th um, by the end of the buy. So yeah, I've been hovering around the, the top 1K mark for a while now, so nice to be, I guess relatively firmly inside and hopefully for the rest of the season I don't cop many more tra- many more injuries because I don't have many more trades JB <laughs> yeah and that's that's it isn't it we trade hard to get to full premium and then really cross our fingers and hope that this game gives us a bit of luck so we will jump into the round recap and it will just be the one podcast again because of these dreaded Thursday night games that everyone loves so much uh, it was a Thursday night game kicking us off in this round, and it was West Coast versus Essendon. Essendon taking the chocolates here. And let's start with Andrew Gaff. So a big score of 122 in this one, in a loss as well. Is this the, the Perth Stadium effect, or is it the fact that he was versing a team that generally doesn't send run with players to opposition midfielders? I think it's a bit of both, actually, uh, JB. But the interesting thing for me is that West Coast Eagles looked just you know almost down and out um the last two weeks they've been quite poor and i think we'll see this trend kind of continue for the remainder of the season as well so gaff isn't somebody that's high on my radar um i I still think he'll go you know lower hundreds um like 100 to 105 i just don't really think he's going to be pushing that 110 mark for the rest of the year um it'd take a, a pretty big effort especially um, where I'm predicting West Coast to kind of drop away a little bit. So uh, for me, he's not quite up there uh, in compared to you know some of the options around that same price as well, which we'll, we'll get into as we pass them. But I guess kind of comparatively, if you want somebody to go between 100 and 105, who's a bit cheaper, you could look right at Dyson Heppel because he got concussed um, in that game against Brisbane. Um, so he's actually only at 460k and pretty much as he's turned up eight of 13 times and the other games he's been pretty much close to a ton is just discounted due to that concussion so if you're desperate for a primo um, and you need someone that's really cheap then he's probably the, the better cheaper primo but obviously if you want someone with a bit more potential if you can scrounge together you know 525 35 40k you can get someone a lot better than uh, Heppel. Yeah, definitely, and I tend to agree. I don't think he'll he'll hit the the highs that he hit in the first half of the season. He'll sort of just shrivel out a little bit, but still be a decent option for those who obviously have him. I wouldn't be thinking of going near anyone else, that's for sure. So uh, we'll move on to Elliot Yo with 113. He's break even now down to 62. So if you don't have him and you're looking to get that last defender in, uh, well, you should have him already. But 
uh, it's now or never pretty much with Yo. He's not going to be cheaper for a good amount of time. So uh, definitely a good option. I think we can all agree with that. And that takes us to our next player, and that is probably Nick Natanui. So a 99 this week, Pistol, and it's someone that hasn't really uh, blown the roof off of the place. He's, he's scoring okay, but around that low sort of sub-ton mark, or like marginally sub-tons, would you think of maybe putting him up to sort of a Grundy type if you had an abundance of trades at this time of the year, considering he actually could be a chance to get a rest as well? I think that's more, if you're a league player, it's definitely something I'd have in mind before finals. I think I'd be trying to get that extra 20 points per game uh, from, from Nick Nat to Grundy. But at this stage, look, these trades are so valuable. I mean, if you have them and you have the cash, sure, but most people aren't really in that situation. And Nick Nat, fortunately, isn't a sinking ship. You know, he's not um, a Nankin, he's not a Jacobs who could average 80 from here on out. So if you have the Steph Martins and you have the Nick Nats, uh, you have the Goldsteins, you're probably just holding and hoping Grundy you know, falls back to earth. But if you have anyone else, then you're pretty much just looking to trade to Grundy right now. Yeah, definitely. And uh, we'll move on to the next player, and that is Luke Shuey. So uh, a man who's gone down to 360k now, hasn't turned up since round five. What are your thoughts on him as a potential M9 or did this last week, uh, last week's showing of 56 really just put a, a sour taste in your mouth? It does put a sour taste in my mouth, but at the end of the day, I think you have to uh, remember like Shuey has a lot of past uh, history and scoring pretty well. I still think he's good value for his price. As I said, I don't think West Coast are going to come home extremely strong, so I'm a bit worried from that. Uh, position, but again, if you do need an M9, um, a lot of people got Rockcliffe for that, so that might not be uh, desperate for that. Uh, then he would be somebody that might be worthwhile loopholing with Dusty Martin. But um, at the same time, I'm not fully convinced that that's going to be the best use of a trade. If you do have um, a bit of cash, then I think I'd be looking for somebody that has a bit higher. Uh, variant, someone that you could loophole in, maybe maybe a Jared Lyons at like 420k, who can go big and can go small. That might be someone that's that's worthwhile targeting. But yeah, he, he certainly presents good value. And if you have a Holman and you only have one trade and you need to get an M9, I don't know why. If this is just the structure of your team, then yeah, you could, <laughs> you could do a lot worse than Luke Chewy. Yeah, definitely right. Uh, we'll move on to the Essendon side of things. And Devin Smith headlined this one. Three goals from the tackling forward. And uh, someone that is is sort of just flown under the radar. He hasn't had a huge year, but he's really just doing it, you know, as in like consistent bunches of the the 80 to 110 sort of mark each week. He's only 478k. If you needed a final forward upgrade, would he be in your considerations? I think he will. Um, Essendon have been playing way better in the last, you know, five or so weeks. They're just getting better every week. And if you expect that to continue for you know the rest of the season, then he's going to get a lot of supply. He's going to be able to have those opportunities to score well, especially even in the games where they haven't done so well. His tackling has just allowed him to continually score really well. His average is obviously up there. So um, at 474K or what you said just before, I think he is a really good option, JB. Um, I do want to say, though, that there's a couple of Essendon players, if you are going to, I guess, we'll say hop on that Essendon bandwagon, um, there's a couple maybe, we'll say outside-the-box picks that you could consider, um, and that includes players like Adam Saad, who now has a five-round average of 100. So, obviously, um, his, his scores 
have been very well in recent times. He's only like 440k. He's basically not in any teams, and he's just taking the game on. I think in the first 10 or so weeks, um, he didn't really seem to want to take the ball and just run um, and, and use it well. They were a bit more tighter. I guess the opponents were clamping down on them, um, running out the halfback line. But yeah, now that they're playing well and he's up and about, he's running, and he's running far, and he's doing great things on the footy field. And uh, he's certainly somebody that, looking how he's playing lately, if you're, you're desperate for that POD punt, um, yeah, you could do a lot worse than that. Yeah, definitely. And his three-round average speaks for itself, as you said. And I think I'll jump into your next player before you get the chance. And that's Zach Merritt is a bit of a left-field option, but he's only 500k and is around that range that you look at uh, for those fallen sort of premiums that uh, you don't really have a lot of cash flow coming from the rookies, so you want to save a bit. But he has put uh, together a good last four or five with his lowest score being 102 of four of those five. The other one being 89 is the, the fifth that I speak of. But they are good scores, so he seems to be turning up a lot. His last two um, were 120 against Brisbane and 112 this week. So he's someone that you, people might look to to sort of just get in as that M8 spot and to really just finish their teams off. Yeah, definitely think he's uh, worthwhile considering there's a lot of players kind of in that price range that could be good and you just really need to weigh up uh, the pros and cons. Obviously, uh, Merritt's somebody that's gone over 110 in the past, so he's probably um, one that I would target uh, a lot more than, let's say, you know, the side bottoms who um, have yet to go um, 110, but all of them, yeah, there's there's merit in these uh, <laughs> selections. That was no, accidental. No. no, that was complete. I laughed because I gave myself a fright <laughs> on, on that pun. So, um, well, yeah, it's just oozing. <laughs> we will move on. And uh, we'll move on to Michael Hurley in this one. So uh, he started the year with just one sub-ton amongst his first six rounds, then has had five consecutive games with all sub-ton, so hasn't turned up since round six. What do we think about Michael Hurley? He seems to be playing, I don't know, it's it's a bit of a role change. He's always obviously been that key position player, but he seems to be more accountable to his man in the last few weeks than ever before, and he's putting out scores just around that 85 to 90 range. He's dropped a lot of money this year, and his break-even is 94. He's 450k pistol. Do we consider him as a good upgrade option for our last defender spot, maybe? Well, at his price, I think you have to consider him. It's just unfortunate that he hasn't been, you know, pumping out above 100 when you've got all these other defenders. We're talking Luke Ryan, Crisp, um, even Webster before he got injured and who's going to be much cheaper. Harris Andrews was doing it. You had all these, you know, defenders scoring 100 plus that he just kind of fell behind them as options. And I still think he's significantly worse than a lot of the other um, defender options that we'll probably get to for the rest of the round review. But um, yeah, at, at his price, if you're desperate and you need to save money, I think he's certainly a good pick. Him and Howe are probably the cheaper defender premiums um, that you would have to consider this week. But at the same time, I don't really see him going 100 for the rest of the year. He's probably going to fluctuate around that 90 mark, which is good enough, especially for a D6. But yeah, he's not my first choice defender. I'm not going out with a you know unlimited bank and thinking, oh, okay, I'm going to buy Hurley. No, I'm going to be trying to get the Ryans or the Crisps at, at this point in time. Yeah, definitely. I think you summed that up well. He's a good player to sort of 
uh, get in and, and sort of say, all right, well, I'll, I'll settle for this because I don't really have the money. But if you had unlimited funds, then there's a lot of other players that are just way more informed that costs obviously a lot more, um, but it probably are worth paying up for. So we'll move on to Mason Redmond, who did cop an injury this week. Uh, it was He's going to sit an extended period on the, the sidelines there. So maybe opens up a way for uh, Ridley who we might see in the selections this week, but very, very unfortunate for those who brought in Redmond and definitely do not get him in uh, this week, obviously, because, you know, he's injured. Um, <laughs> Gwilfi scored a 63 and still looks, looks like he has another week left of cash gen. And that'll pretty much sum up this game. Pistol, is it okay to move on? Oh, I just want to ask your opinion on Liam Ryan. I know a lot of people traded him back in because he had that really low break-even, but he's put out two poor scores in a row. Is this a situation where you just cut him now and you, you take what you can get, or is he somebody that you'd consider just holding now for cover for the rest of the season? Well, I think you have to hold him. He's only he's only made something like 40k since you traded him in, so he's definitely not worth a trade. Unless you're desperate for the funds and, and you need to cut him to make that sort of last upgrade, then... Unfortunately, he didn't make as much as you would have liked, but um, the truth of the matter is he's got an 80 break even now. He's likely to drop in price uh, this week and just sort of fluctuate around the 250k mark and until he scores, you know, a big score again. But like we said, West Coast aren't looking great for the remainder of the season and they've got an average run of uh, fixtures. So, you know, perhaps he just sits around that 60 scoring mark and, uh, you know, we sort of misjudged the situation getting him in. Yeah, I don't think he's going to make much money for the rest of the season. And if you do have him, maybe try and scrounge around funds from other players because he, he's going to play every game for the rest of the year, you'd think. So I think he will just be decent enough cover. Hopefully there's not too many 30s left. And he has got high variance. He scored like 140 earlier in the year. So, you know, if he kicks five goals in the game, he's going to score well and you'll be able to loophole that in. So uh, I think he's just worthwhile holding. There's, there's no real rush to trade him out. Yeah, exactly right. Unless, I mean, you desperately need that money and you've got no other cash gen, then, yeah, holding him is obviously ideal. Now, we'll move on to the next game, and that's Port Adelaide versus Melbourne. So, in this game, Tom Jonas, 124 Supercoach. It's been his best game in a few weeks now. Uh, obviously, he did cop that injury and missed one as well. Now, 75, 74, and 84 before this, but had a very good uh, run of form before that. 124, he's now at 440k. Would you consider him over the likes of a Hurley, or is he just a bit too risky considering uh, how much he can be a lockdown defender? Yeah, I think I know he scored really well for the, the season so far, and to be honest, he probably will average around 90 for the rest of the year, but it always just feels so risky trading in Tom Jonas. And when you've got Michael Hurley there, basically the same price. I mean, it feels like a no-brainer, right? And yeah, Jonas for me sits in that basket with like these quasi potentially premium defenders like Saad. Uh, you can kind of throw him in as well. I'll, I'll, I'll actually make note of uh, a couple of, I don't know what we should call them, just like We'll just add these defenders to the, the random basket as we go along. The ones that probably are averaging around 90 and might do it for the rest of the season. And up to you guys if you want to trade them in. It's not our first recommendation, but as I said, they should average around 90. So there's potentially way worse picks than that. But for me, Tom Jonas, not a first choice pick. But if you want to, go for it. Yeah, exactly. It's definitely a punt and he will put together some good scores, but... Um, his inconsistency will definitely be an issue and uh, 70s 
and 80s are definitely uh, games to come for the rest of the season. But Port do have a good run, so we never know, Pistol. Now, we'll move on to Justin Westhoff, 106 Supercoach, and uh, if I've seen a lot of people asking if they should make him their last upgrade target, and it's pretty much a no-brainer at this point, isn't it? No, you have to get Westhoff at, this, at his price, and he's scoring so well. And the thing is, you watch him play, and you'll be like, huh, he hasn't done anything for a while. And then there'll be this 10-minute period where he'll get like 10 possessions, take two contested marks, and kick a goal, and you're like, oh, right. Yeah, he, he's good at super coach. He just does these things in short bursts and scores massive and then doesn't do anything for ages. Um, you know, he still went at only 50% disposal efficiency in this match and scored 106. Um, and he takes some ruck time and he chops out. So um, this game is just suited to his play style this season. So uh, it's, it's really a no-brainer to get him in if you don't have him already. Yeah, I tend to agree. He's a very obvious option um, if you were choosing between him and his teammate, Robbie Gray, who amazingly outscored his dream team productivity by 30 this week, uh, putting up a 92 off just 15 disposals, who would you side with on that uh, on that sort of uh, competition uh, with uh, Westall? I, I can't even word that properly, but you know what I mean. Uh, if you're choosing between those two as your final upgrade spot, they are priced around the same. And uh, I'd say Robbie probably takes the chocolates in scoring potential, but Westhoff probably in uh, consistency. Yeah, I, I really feel like Hoff is still the better choice here. I think we've remained consistent on that all the way through. Great, 22 at halftime, and I was worrying like massively. I'm like, oh no. And obviously he came home hard. He kicked a couple of crucial goals and got his score up. But there'll be games where he doesn't, and there'll be games that he plays through the midfield, and you just generally don't know what you're going to get. But at this point in time, Hoff has just remained consistently good um, throughout the season and he's somebody that I, I think I would prefer in this situation and for those that chose Boak when you were choosing between Westhoff, Boak and, and Gray I mean bad luck <laughs> he doesn't look like uh, he's going to be able to match the potential of either of those players JB and let me know uh, JB your thoughts on Tom Rockliffe is he still a good option or is he a bad option what's going on there yeah I think I've been pretty consistent on the fact that he's not a good option he's going to put up these 60 scores, and although he'll do what he did last week occasionally, and that was the big 120 plus that he put out, um, it just won't be, like, it won't happen enough to justify him being anywhere on your side, especially not in a starting role. If you are loopholing him, then I see the merit because his ceiling is high, but I feel like that score will come out maybe one in every three or four weeks. Like It's just not going to be common enough for me, but... You know, those who chose him, uh, you know, you have to stick with him now. Port have an easy run, so I might be being a bit too negative there, but, you know, I definitely wouldn't be looking to trade him in now, that's for sure. If you had to choose a loophole option for your M9, would you choose Rockliffe or would you choose Wingard? Uh, definitely Wingard. I think Wingard, at the very least, uh, has that higher, well, probably as high ceiling. And worst case scenario, if you do actually need a cover for an injury, Wingard is have way more of a chance of, you know, you can be way more confident with Wingard hitting an 80-plus than you would be with Tom Rockliffe. And, and Wingard has that swinging ability as well. Yeah, exactly. He's got that DPP, so he's somebody, if you need uh, that, that F7 or, or uh, M8, uh, M9, I should say, uh, swinging ability, then you can definitely look towards uh, Wingard. On the Demon side, it was gone with 140 this week, JB. I mean, is, it, is he still just this auto lock for captain every week? No, not an auto lock. As we saw with uh, Cripps and and Kelly the last couple of weeks, there are definitely other players that have really high ceilings. Um, but at the end of the day, he's probably the safest to go one twenty plus. So if you you know if you're 
feeling a little bit iffy about other selections, then you can pretty much lock him in for that. But there are definitely players with ceilings as high, if not higher than him. So he's pretty much an auto lock for captaincy, just not vice captaincy. Is that what I got out of your answer? Yeah, probably. I mean, he does play early in the round, and you know, you could chuck the vice captaincy on him. So you know, he's fine for both, but you know, he's definitely not you know locking for either. Because I I didn't even consider him this week for captaincy or vice captaincy. I probably should have, but. <laughs> <laughs> well, now Angus Brayshaw, he has had a good run of form lately. Um, now he. I see him in a lot of teams because he's got that DPP as well, and there's not many defenders with uh, DPP. So he's made his way as an M9 into a lot of teams, and I guess it's just helped that he's actually started to score really well. Um, he's 440k, so he's in that kind of basket case that I was uh, mentioning. I don't think I call it basket case, but here we go. <laughs> That's a bit harsh. The, <laughs> the basket case uh, defenders. Um, is he somebody that you would consider for that cover as well, given he's got the uh, the swing? Well, he's, yeah. I mean, as cover, fine. Yeah, sure, I'd, like, I'd be happy with that. But he does have three scores at the, the 60 point and two at the 70 point whilst only putting up the three tons. Um, obviously, he does have that big 130 in there, which does help his average. But to me, he's just the sort of player that will you know occasionally put out a 90 plus, but more regularly hover around the 70 to 80 mark. I can't really see him having that consistently high ceiling. So, you know, good cover if you got your hands on him when he was around the 300k mark, but for now, for 40, you know, I'd rather just go all the way up and get like an uber premium, and, you know, not not sort of worry about having to fuss around with cover and that. No, fair enough. And talking of uber premiums, Clayton Oliver, 108, just did his thing again. He's probably the top option at this price because you just know you're going to get a solid output for the rest of the season. Uh, JB, is it time to move on Bailey Fritz? Just a 76 for him this week. What are your thoughts there? Uh, so again, that's pretty dependent on your team. He's got a break even of 96, so he'll probably hover around the 420k mark for the rest of the season. Uh, not make a lot more money. Uh, maybe you know go from 420 to 430 occasionally, go down to 400, go up to 450, whatever he does. Uh, but I wouldn't expect to make for, for him to make much more money from this point. So if you're not cashing in his value, then you might as well sit him in F6. But for me, I just don't see the scoring potential. Uh, he did score 111 earlier in the year, but that's uh, a couple of weeks ago, but that's his only score over 100. So I'm not sure it'd be a great loophole option considering there are a good amount of forwards averaging 100 plus this year. Um, so, you know, in my opinion, you should just cash in the money and, and just really take it as a win. Uh, I don't think any of us expect him to make 310k. So, um, yeah, but if you've got a full team, full premium, then, you know, there's no harm in sitting him at F7. Yeah, I definitely agree with you there. And there's just so many Melbourne players to talk about. So we'll just um, throw these two yeah. in together. Jesse Hogan, as well as Tom McDonald. How do you see them going for the rest of the year? Uh, Tom McDonald, uh, very reliant on goals, but he keeps kicking them. So I'd imagine he's going to go 90 plus for the rest of the season. But to me, I just he's he's priced so highly, and I don't expect him to maintain what he's doing week in week out at the moment. I suppose I could have said that a couple of weeks ago, and he's put out another good couple of weeks. But uh, to me, he just he just you know it seems like the type of player that will keep getting around the 90 mark, but not go huge unless they have a really easy matchup. So. For me, I feel like his big scores have all sort of been and gone, and those people trading him in at 400, 574k, that's a big price to pay, and you know, you'd know you expect around 110 average for the rest of the season on that. 
I just don't see it happening. I think he's gotten a lot of his big scores out of the way and you're trading him in for those and you know you might be chasing points a little bit. Jesse Hogan, after back-to-back scores of sub-60, has a break-even of 170. He'll be around 400K in a couple of weeks and you know that price probably suits him because he can go large, but he can go very, very small. So maybe he's the better uh, loophole option. Yeah, he's looking like a very good loophole option if he if he drops that lower price again. Yeah, Tom McDonald's so expensive, 574. He probably does well against the Saints this week, but again, from uh, uh, round 18 onwards, they've just got such a tough draw, and it's so hard to see, think that he can go 100-plus, let alone you know 90-plus even. I, I, it's going to be around that mark, so he's not somebody that I'd be willing to pay 574k, not in a million years, JB. Um, Joel Smith was a bit disappointing this week uh, with with that 34. Um, unfortunately, just from that from that, if you watch that first half where Joel Smith basically didn't score any points, um, the ball was just camped in Melbourne's forward line. As soon as uh, they they port got it out, it just went to the midfield and never really got all the way back to uh, Joel Smith. He was kind of you know that that last line of defence uh, for Melbourne. So um, I think just circumstances of the game dictated that he scored poorly this week but um, overall I don't think he's going to be a great scorer but this was probably on his his lower NJB does that sound like a fair assessment yeah and still has a very low break even and has that defensive midfield swing so if they're important to you I see no problem trading him in still the job security is still there yeah well how about have you got anything else for this game or shall we jump into the the next one uh, I just want to say Christian Petrarca, another poor game. If you're still holding on to him and you have a couple of trades up your sleeve and actually a, a quite a bit of money as well, he's dropped quite a bit, then um, I'd rather be trying my hardest to get him to that F7 that we've been speaking about and swing between that midfield because he does still have a high ceiling despite the one ton this year. Um, well, actually, that might not even be true. Um, you know, He's sort of a player that you'd expect to have a high ceiling but might not even have it. Um, end of the day, I'd be trying to move Petrarca off my field in any way, shape, or form. Yeah, <laughs> I definitely agree with that. So the uh, the Hawthorne game um, was, you know, probably as boring as people had expected, and maybe maybe a bit uh, more boring, just given there was thirty one behind scored in this game, and no one could kick any set <laughs> shots. Uh, they were all over the place. So um, yeah, not great f- football viewing. But in terms of uh, super coach, there was Luke Bruce with another 120-plus score with 131. Um, he's, he's put in quite a few decent efforts. Uh, I saw some people mentioning him online, but he's somebody that is obviously uh, very reliant on scoring goals and points in this case, and he's not really somebody that I, I would consider as well at his price of around 450k. It's just a little bit too much, I think, to pay um, for somebody like Luke Bruce who doesn't really have the necessary, I think, output to uh, be a viable, um, you know, uh, F6 or F7 for the rest of the season. Um, Sicily, again, with a 135, is just doing his own things out there. If you don't have Sicily, get him. Titch, 106, with another 31 touches. Funny enough, I'm pretty sure this was the first game he got JB in the 30s of possessions because he either got 30 or less or he got 40 or more. So um, just an absolutely <laughs> insane stat there. That would be crazy, yeah. It's It's... Unbelievable. Um, if you if we jump into the the Gold Coast side, there's another player I'd like to add into my crazy defender basket, and that would be it's probably going to surprise uh, a couple of people. Blast from the past here, Jared Harbrow with a five round average of 102. Um, all these players in the the crazy defender basket case <laughs> are probably 
more suited to draft. But if you did want to make a, have a punt on somebody that's going to be in you know one percent of teams, 102.5 average kind of speaks for itself. He's getting the ball off halfback, and boy oh boy, is the ball in the halfback a lot uh, for the Gold Coast Suns because they're not getting any better whatsoever. JB, um, so potentially someone to to watch over there and uh, we mentioned it earlier in the podcast Jared Lyons is only 424k and he's got a massive ceiling um, you know he scored above 160 in the past so um, he's certainly somebody if you if you need that that m9 um, he's somebody that I'd look forward to JB yeah definitely I tend to agree with all that and Jacob Dawson had a good debut with 51 had a lot of contested disposals as well with eight I think he was leading that stat at half time so uh, someone who looks like he's going to have good job security and at 102k, if you're doing a downgrade and you know I'm not even fussed if they become a loophole in the end, then he's perfect because you might actually earn a bit of cash or provide an emergency score here and there. So, is it time to cull Holman? Do you think, in your opinion? Yeah, yeah, definitely. So I put out of uh, 45 this week and dropped 17k. Break-even's 85, and that's going to get worse if he scores around the, the 70 or, or less mark the week after. So, um, yeah, I'd call him. He's made a lot of money as well, around the 250K mark, or exactly pretty much 250K. Uh, so, yeah, no, he's done his job exactly how he should have and played throughout all the buys which we wanted, and you know, that's pretty much all you can expect. And now you've got Tom J. Lynch, who's at 340K. Is he somebody that you would consider for F7, or has the season kind of gone gone past Gold Coast and him for this year. Yeah, it's crazy. I, I sort of mentioned him uh, a couple of weeks ago after he kept on putting out 50s and then he just kept on putting out 50s. He had 180 against Carlton in round two, so hard to get that out of the memory when thinking about a perfect uh, F7 option, especially considering he's 340k. But the fact that that's his only ton for the year makes me think that that might be his only ton for the whole year. So, yeah, I think he's put out his big score and uh, might only, you know, stick to that one time a year until he reaches a team that can, you know, put up more than five goals in a game. Yeah, he's definitely good value, but at the same time, you just you can't really see them being competitive in any game probably for the rest of the year. And and he's, you know, he's off um, at the end of the season. So it's just, uh, I think, a bit of a pass uh, for now, I don't just think he's going to be able to be worthwhile loopholing because he's not really going to get into those 120 plus scores, you know, multiple times uh, for the rest of the season. I, it's just not going to happen, JB. Uh, do you want to take us through the Brisbane Lions versus the GWS game? Yeah, I really do, Pistol. Thank you. Now, um, <laughs> GWS took this one over Brisbane, and Brisbane had a, a, a quite a lot of decent scorers. Not any of them really super coach relevant. It was good to see Beams crack another ton with his 27 disposals, but like we said a few weeks ago, it just looks very untrustworthy with uh, with his consistency in, in his form lately. Dane Zorko is an interesting one. He put out a 90 and hasn't really been tagged for a little while, but uh, did fight through a couple earlier in the season, uh, around the mid-season mark, not the early season where he obviously got pumped. But um, down another 7K this week, he's 520 is he the type of option that would group in with those merits, or is he just a little bit riskier? No, I still think he a merit is a good example, given he can be tagged out of a game, you know, at will. But after round seven, he's pretty much averaged above a hundred. Well, he has averaged above a hundred and ten. So um, he's definitely scoring well. It's just he got tagged so badly at the beginning of the season that it's hard to just forget what can happen. 
Um, he's also scored particularly well at the Gabba, and this year they only have four more games um, there. So that's something that yeah, I think you've got to consider if you're thinking about bringing him in. But um, yeah, it's it's just so hard to trade in these players that you know are going to be tagged and you know they've still got the Jacobs tag coming um, even though they just played North and he got 103 but yeah I, I find it really hard to trade in somebody like Zorko and Merritt um, when I think there's slightly better options for 20-30k more yeah definitely and I tend to agree I, I find it really risky tagging, uh, trading in players that can be tagged out of the game so easily and um, I'm sure you'll make fun of me about that next game. But um, Harris Andrews was the big talking point in this one. The 22 super coach points, which he got in the first uh, 10 minutes of the game, pretty much. And uh, obviously got that concussion. Is looking to miss at least minimum two weeks. So we do need to trade him out. And uh, just, yeah, sad for those who traded him in. But he didn't lose much money. He, he only dropped the 15K. He's still 500K. So... Uh, do you want to discuss his options later, or do you want to discuss them now, Pistol? <laughs> Haven't I been discussing the basket case defenders uh, oh, as sorry, options? I meant, I meant his good options. <laughs> his good options. Oh, we might we might do that at the end, him and Trelaw kind of in a row um, at the end yeah, of the podcast, okay, I think. Um, but yeah, p- bad luck for Harris Andrews owners. He was a massive POD, and he was scoring so well, and it's just really unfortunate um, that this happened, and to him as well, because it was... a brutal hit and uh Cameron copped the five weeks as of um we were recording when when it happened so um that's that's just happened I don't know if you knew that JB but uh yeah it's if you do have Harris Andrews I'd be trading him out just because they're probably just going to put him on ice for the rest of the season um even though they said he's going to be reevaluated in two weeks but you know that evaluation will lead to oh yeah okay we're going to sit him out for at least another two weeks and you know it'll just keep it keep going on and on so um yeah he's somebody that if you own unfortunately you're you're going to have to trade uh jb on the gws side josh kelly again the star man 149 super coach points now i'm going to ask you the question that pretty much everyone asked every week josh kelly versus clayton oliver who would you get uh i'd still get clayton oliver i mean josh kelly's uh, ceiling is incredible, but the risk that he faces, especially now with his teammate uh, Jeremy Cameron missing five weeks, they are very likely to miss finals now without him, and they've got a bit of a tough draw. So uh, if that comes to fruition and they are ruled out from finals, then he is a risk. I'm not saying it's a certainty, but it's definitely a risk to, to maybe miss a game or two with rest, considering he did have that groin issue and is probably their most uh, prized asset on the, the whole list. So... Um, I've got a little bit of concern, but if they both play the same amount of games from now through the rest of the season, I expect they average the same, if not maybe Kelly a little bit more. So if you're willing to take that risk, then you know I'd definitely go for Kelly, but um, Clayton is definitely 100 times safer. Um, and you know that's, that's pretty much what you have to weigh up uh, 24-7 with this game, safety versus uh, potential ceiling. So... Yeah, I think that's about right. And next week he's probably copying the the how tag, and then they've got West Coast over um, over there um, before having Richmond. So and then it's Port Adelaide in Port Adelaide. So it's not like the draw like opens up for for GWS as well. Like they're going to be struggling to make finals this year. They need to win against these teams that are above them on the ladder and have some luck. Uh, this game against Hawks is huge uh, for their finals chances as well. Uh, so. 
if they lose, um, you know, the next four games or so, uh, you've really got to think if they're mathematically ruled out, Josh Kelly might have some soreness, you know, what happens? Um, obviously, there's so many ifs and buts, and you just kind of want to trade in the best player available, but believe at that stage and at that price, it's going to be Clayton Oliver, um, not, in fact, Josh Kelly. Do we have anything to worry about, JB, uh, for Stephen Canelio? Only the 83 Supercoach points, or was this just one of those those games, 26 touches, didn't really do too much wrong, just didn't score? Yeah, pretty much one of those games where, you know, like you just said, he... He played fine. He only got the one tackle, which is very uncharacteristic of him. Uh, it wasn't really one of those games for him where it was a real contested uh, beast type of game. It was very open, uh, a lot of running, and you know that's sort of just how it played out. He was uh, in the wrong place at the wrong time. A lot of the time you could see him being sort of one kick or one handball away, but it not getting to him. And uh, that pretty much is how it played out. So he did score 138 when Josh Kelly returned. Back-to-back scores below 90 since then, but I do have faith in him uh, turning it back around throughout the rest of the season. Is there anything you want to add into uh, this game before we jump into the next one? Uh, No. (laughs) All right, well, then we'll jump straight into the uh, Good Friday match that wasn't on Good Friday. Bulldogs versus North Melbourne. Uh, We've got... um, a surprising Hayden Crozier, 137 points. Now, he's put in back-to-back big scores. Um... At just over 300k, is he somebody that you would consider for F7, JB? No, probably never. Um, <laughs> I mean, he's, he's had a good run of form, but he got a career high in disposals and uh, was actually everywhere this game. I could not believe how many times the ball was just booted out randomly and he was the one on the end of it. But now nah, he had a career game and has had a good fortnight, but in terms of super coach uh, longevity and such, it's probably not sustainable for him. And do we have to be worried about Toby McLean? There was an interesting stat that after he's hurt his shoulder, he's pretty much, he's averaging like two tackles a game. Before he hurt his shoulder, he's averaging like nine tackles a game. Um, Only the 86 points for Toby McLean. Is that something to watch going forward? No. I mean, it's definitely something to watch uh, if you're thinking of trading him in at this point. But um, if you're slow with your trading up, I guess, and you've got, you know, one forward spot, it's definitely something to watch, but at the end of the day, we're, we're talking about a, a game, what, two-game type of uh, sample size here. One of the games in which he actually injured the shoulder and played the rest of it uh, was out for a quarter of that one. And, you know, I just I don't think it's enough. This is the really the first game that he's had bad tackle-wise with no excuses, but he, I think he had two in round two or something like that. Like, it's not shocking. I expect it to be an outlier. Oh, who would have thought stats could be misleading? JB... We can move to the North Melbourne side, but um, I think I'll let you take the stage because uh, there's a special man in your life, and I think you've uh, got something that you, you want to dedicate. So uh, go for it. The floor is yours. Yeah, so Ben Brown, 120 Supercoach <laughs> points, five car. Okay, wait, maybe, that, maybe that's your guy. Um, no, so Sean Higgins uh, getting tagged heavily in this one had the, the scariest first half of anything I've ever seen considering I'd uh, highly recommended getting him in but uh, ended up with the 123 super coach got a lot of praise in the media which I don't like for Higgins considering that might attract future tags but um, no it was good to see a punt pay off uh, he was 500k before the round went up a good uh, 28k so he's still 537 if you're considering a point of difference he has scored uh, three 120 pluses in a row 
has about the the floor of a an 80 or a 90 so i don't think it's the worst trading option but if he does get more tags and uh, i mean i think they let go of him for that third quarter and uh, even the fourth so there is a reason as to his second half uh, big score but i mean if he does get tagged uh, from now through the rest of the season then maybe his uh, ceiling isn't as good as i expected <laughs> <laughs> that but was great great news week one i mean that that sounded pretty flat given you you've traded in sean higgins this week you've now owned him i think for the last three seasons which is insane by the way but i mean kudos to you, <laughs> Do you have the actual statistic on that <laughs> no I'm, I'm sure you have you owned him every single season uh, so I recall owning him for the first time in his uh, last year for Western Bulldogs. Wow. All right. Well, uh, yeah. So that's okay. since 2014. That's All right. All righty then. Um, so Sean Higgins, uh, biggest fan in the world, is a Port Adelaide supporter, which is really strange. But anyway, <laughs> it's, um, yeah, it's nice when a punt kind of pays off, but don't get too ahead of yourself because it's only been one week and the season is much longer than that and there's still a lot of time to, for it to go wrong. Um, but no, you, you've, I think he's, he's playing unbelievably well. He had a 75-point third quarter, which is absolutely insane. 75 points, JB. I know you're not surprised. Um, but really, I want to use this as a segue to talk about Ben Brown. I've mentioned oh, it on, I think, three podcasts in a row. I said... Look at him after his buy. He's going to be the best F7 option. He didn't actually drop to the 400k mark, which I kind of was hoping he would get to. Um, now he's at 440. He was uh, like mm, close to 400k last week. Um, 120. He's going to win the Coleman medal. They've got a really easy draw, and he relies on goals. He will kick the goals, and he will win the Coleman medal. And look, he's just a player with high variance. That's perfect to loophole in. There's, there's not much... You know, downside when you're trying to think of you know the the optimal option to loophole him. It's Ben Brown. I found your answer for you. Um, he yeah, 440k. He's already averaging 93 for the season as well. It's gone massively under the radar. But that being said, JB, his teammate Jed Anderson, 388k with a break even of 160, probably oh, 340k next next week. He had a good game, not a great super coach game. Um, 21 possessions and a goal. He's getting all the midfield time in the world, and the, the scores will come. He he was averaging, you know, I had a five round average of like 98 before his injury. Um, there was quite a few 110s in there. Um, yeah, I, I really think that if you've got 340k, rather than getting a Jack Rewalt this week, just wait a week and grab Jed Anderson because. He's got the potential to go 90-plus uh, from here on out for the rest of the season, and he, he's a really solid uh, F7 option as well and is much cheaper than Ben Brown, so um, he's one to consider. I know it's massively uh, unique. People aren't really talking about it, um, but no, it's I think it's uh, that's going to be a solid one, so don't call me crazy because, um, well, actually, you can. There's, there's no real downside. Um, JB, Todd Goldstein, 132. Is he now the informed ruckman of the competition? What's going on here? Uh, so if you mean, you know, in the last fortnight, then yeah, probably the most informed ruckman. He's had a couple of good weeks in a row, a few good weeks actually, 123, 112, 132, but, um... <laughs> That's a lot of good weeks, JB. Some would say he's had a good month. <laughs> 
Yeah, maybe even a good five weeks, actually, now that I look at it. But uh, no, I mean, well, he is, but it's not really (laughs) significant. He's 520k now. Um, We've already got our rucks uh, settled, and I wouldn't trade any one Ruckman to him. Um, And if I was trading a Ruckman, it'd probably be to Grundy regardless. So, yeah, I don't know. Why are you trying to irk me here, Pistol? Look, if you if you've got him, I know most people are planning on trading him to Grundy, but you can't now. So no, definitely enjoy not. that. You'll just uh, hope for the best, Goldie. <laughs> I mean, it, it was good that he had twenty possessions as well. So it wasn't just getting the hitouts, but he was moving around the ground. So um, definitely positive signs there. Um, Tom Murphy, who some people jumped on a couple of weeks ago because that DPP scored fifty eight and looked solid. So uh, that was nice to see. Paula Hearn may have got a little bit affected by the return of Jed Anderson. Um, he just didn't really touch it in the second half when the game was on the line. I think he only had the six possessions after half time, so struggled a little bit with 49. I wonder if they'll give him a rest. Um, I know they just had one, but I wonder how many more rests uh, he'll get for the rest of the season. But you know, while they're while they're winning, then he should probably still be getting games. So um, you can take some some comfort in that. Uh, JB, anything else to add onto this game? No, that was a great analysis, Pistol. Yeah, you're very welcome. Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> okay, we'll jump into the next one, and it's Collingwood versus Carlton. I'm going to address the Carlton side of it and leave the Collingwood side for you. But uh, Patrick Cripps, 187 supercoach of 29 disposals, had the nine tackles, the three goals, the 20 contested disposals. He is an absolute freak. If you don't have him and you're deciding for that last spot with your Adam Trelaw pick, I'm going to jump early here and say that he's a great option at 544k. And we'll move on to Cade Simpson, who had 118. Another great option for your defences, and he's um, he's a little bit pricey now. He's had a couple of good weeks in a row, but he did he was coming off a couple of bad weeks. So, um, well, not really a couple, one bad week, but uh, yeah. So he's he's definitely risen a bit in price, and he's about where he started for the season. So uh, definitely a good time to jump on. His break even is actually all the way down to 75. So. Definitely looking to make money. I want to ask you, Pistol, about your Ed Kerno pick. So you opted for Ed Kerno over Patrick Cripps a couple of weeks ago. Obviously, hasn't paid off, but would you still recommend people go near Ed Kerno if they do have the Patrick Cripps? Or you know, there's a lot of a lot of different point of difference options out there. Where do you think Ed Kerno ranks? He's definitely got the, the high floor. Mate, I've made a mistake. <laughs> Um, I massively regret getting uh, Ed Kerno um, over Cripps, given I had to pick one two weeks ago, and Cripps has already outscored him by over 100 points. Um, Jeez, that has quickly come to bite me in the butt. But yeah, (laughs) obviously I got Kerno thinking that Cripps' body looking before the bye, he looked completely broken and I needed to get the 18th play and couldn't see how he'd play the next game when he looked completely fine. But Look, I'm going to still kind of hold out that Cripps might get rested later in the year, but I think I'm just holding on to hope for the sake of hope. But I think if I'm selecting another uh, you know, midfielder, there's there's better options we'll get into when we talk about the Trelaw uh, replacements than Ed Kerno. But a set of 90s isn't the worst thing in the world. So, look, I'll, I'll take it. But I'm not happy, JB. Um, I definitely think that was uh, yeah, not, not the right decision. But, yeah, I guess... Time will tell. There's, there's still time for Ed Kerner to go 180, right? Like, that's that's bound to happen. Um, No, but, you know, he still has a very, very high floor. So, back-to-back 90s being his worst couple of games in a while, only 16 disposals. I think he's still going to be a good player uh, that will play the rest of the games and still score well. I do want to ask you, finally, 
if there's been a player in the the sub sub rule <laughs> uh, that so since the sub rule was a thing to have scored three scores less than 20 in a season playing full games I just am curious because Cam O'Shea's done it right now He's, Cam O'Shea's had three sub 20 scores he had 14 against West Coast in round 5 he had 18 against Melbourne in round 9 and 8 this week <laughs> that is that is poor. Um, off the top of my head, I'm, I guess <laughs> Presto Giacomo uh, wasn't known for his scoring ability. Nathan Brown as well at the Pies uh, definitely didn't score particularly well. Um, this is completely off the top of my head. Um, that's why I've mentioned two Collingwood players because that's, <laughs> that's what I know well. Um, but yeah, that's, that's, that seems very poor. So maybe not. They could be p- possibly one of the worst ever players. Scoring options, so thanks for <laughs> He's for in rare territory, that's for sure. What's it? What's his break even in price, JB? Uh, it's actually not that bad because he's priced so poorly. Um, I have to look it back up now because you've made me get out of it. But he's 199k. He's made 30k for the year after losing 5k this week, and his break even is 67. So if he scores another eight, um, he's likely to drop about 20k. <laughs> so he's value. <laughs> Because he's yeah, that's good value. I mean, you get on him for your uh, your defensive D7? cover. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you can use him as a loophole. Yeah, um, straight in the crazy basket, not a defender one, but yeah. Anyway, um, so we'll jump into the Collingwood side, and uh, now there is a good Trelaw replacement that's heading uh, the top of the the Collingwood list. Well, actually, a couple top of the Collingwood list are decent replacements, but um, in this case, I'm going to be talking about Steel Side Bottom. Is he's gone? very much under the radar. He's only 523k, so he is a little bit cheaper. Um, you know, he has gone between that 105 and 110 range in the past, but without Trelaw, I think he can um, pick it up a little bit. He, he's been decent this season without setting the world on fire. He's averaging 104. I think he could maybe, with this kind Collingwood draw, um, that includes majority of the games, if not all the games at the MCG. Uh, I think he could, you know, average between 105 and 110 for the rest of the season. So that's something to consider. Gut feel though, Scott Pendlebury at 484k might just be the pick of the bunch as well. Um, he hasn't been scoring as well as you know his his past seasons, but you just think there's a bit more from Pendlebury. He seems to he seems to be trying to kind of limit the opposition's most damaging player while also getting the ball himself. And he's not really stopping the opposition from scoring well, as you could see with Paddy Cripps in this case, but Pendlebury himself is scoring decently. So um, that's an interesting one over there, JB. Now, we've highlighted this on a podcast, what, like a month ago, JB, when I got him in. Jack Crisp, been talking about him most weeks now. He's now scored five of his last six above 110. Is he the top defender priority, especially when we're talking Harris Andrews? Uh, Where would you rank him in out-of-the-backline options? Uh, Well, I've got uh, almost unlimited funds this week and am down two defenders, so I definitely need to trade one in. And he's coming into my side, so he's definitely my top option. I'd probably have Elliot Yo above him, but other than that, it's it's pretty much him, Yo, and Simpson for the top three pretty easily, I think. Well, you've already um decided that we're gonna go through all the defensive placement. I guess we will. It's it's been the last game, so um, talk to me through your thought process between any of the other defender defender options. Maybe if you've got some uh, 
outside of the box options you'd like to share? I mean, I think you've said them all this podcast. I'm, <laughs> I'm not sure there are any left, but I think Jake Lloyd goes under the radar a lot. He's averaging 105. Uh, priced at 550, so I know he is expensive. So uh, you're obviously paying up for him, but he's got a five-round average of 121. That does still include that big 173. But I mean, he's just one of those players that um, doesn't have a huge ownership. It's uh, 23%. Okay, that's pretty big pistol. He's not even <laughs> left field, and I'm talking about him like he's some sort of point of difference pick. Jack Crisp would be my pick. <laughs> yeah, Very point of difference, Chris. <laughs> No, he, he's... Uh, Pistol, maybe you're better better equipped to talk about this. You've picked Harris Andrews, who was doing brilliantly. You've picked Jack Crisp, who was doing brilliantly. And uh, you seem to have a better eye for this than me. <laughs> Look, Luke Ryan at 516k um, is still somebody that is only in 5% of teams. And he's averaging 108 in his last five. So he's no slouch either. Um, I think he would be definitely right up there with Crisp for me as my top defender trade and obviously uh, not including Yo and Sicily and Laird because there's no point really talking about them um, yeah so surely you don't have all of Ryan and Crisp and Simo and, and those players um, Webster in a couple of weeks as well will be really cheap so um, yeah and I've mentioned a couple of people from the, the defender crazy basket um, earlier there's one more that I'd like to add into the crazy basket because he's gone quite under the radar this season and is probably deserving of a shout out just because he's been consistently good all season um, and that's Tom Stewart at 476k he's averaging 91 for the season which might surprise some people a five round average of um, 95 and he just goes all right Tom Stewart he, he doesn't have too many stinkers and he, he puts in his score close to his average and He's certainly a massive POD as well. So, um, yeah, just another another one to add to that crazy, crazy basket there. I don't know why I've gone with uh, so many crazy defender choices for this podcast, but uh, they're all out there. Um, now that we've spoken about Harris Andrews replacements, JB, do you want to talk to me a little about your... Give me your, your top three um, Adam Trelaw replacements. Okay, so I'm going to go slightly point of difference because I'm going to assume that most people have the... The Clayton Olivers, the Josh Kellys, the Tom Mitchells, the um, Dangerfields, obviously, the Patrick Cripps and the Fifes of the world. So those six being pretty popular. Maybe not so much Josh Kelly, but I do rate him as an option. Um, but I'm pretty much going to repeat what I said last week, and that's that I like the, the draw and the, the games at Adelaide Oval for Ollie Wines. I know he was a little bit stunted this week in his scoring, but he did come home strong and uh, just pretty much... With an 87, if that's going to be close to his floor at Adelaide Oval, then well, that is actually his lowest score at Adelaide Oval. Um, and our run really opening up now, obviously Melbourne being our last uh, tough opposition for a few weeks. Uh, I do expect him to go rather large throughout the rest of the season. Um, obviously, I don't want to talk about Sean Higgins because I do want him all to myself, but another score of 120 plus, as I discussed earlier, 540k still very cheap. Uh, is definitely someone that you should be having on your radar, definitely having a look at. And I think you asked for three options. So my third option, as Josh Kelly is still a bit of a point of difference, will be Josh Kelly. So if he does manage to play the rest of the games for the year, and uh, you could be of that thinking that he's had his uh, bunch of rest this year already when he had that injury, they treated him with extreme caution. So he should be at 100%. A young player, you want to get games into him as much as possible, no matter... Uh, what the situation is in your season and he will, should play the rest of the season and I'd expect him to average 115 plus quite easily uh, well I mean fair enough uh, 
I slightly disagree. Um, I don't think he will go 115 plus, but from here on out, but he'll be around that mark. So definitely, you know, above 110. So well, there's no no real point heavily arguing with you about that. However, <laughs> why'd you top, mention it at all? Uh, it's I don't want people to get unrealistic uh, expectations um, out there for Josh Kelly because of his last two games where he scored above 140. You know, it's not not like he's gonna gonna be doing that for the for the whole season. So less than um, 115, but more than 110. <laughs> <laughs> it's a game of numbers, JB. It's all about <laughs> these uh, precise little predictions. It's why I'm not going to be selecting a steel side bottom when I could be selecting somebody like Lockie Neal, uh, who is my number one option, JB. 547k. Um, since round, I think it's round four, he's averaged 114. Uh, he's got a five-round average of 111. He He's just been good. He, he's pretty much, since round four, he's only subtunned once. Um, and he's only had three games that are between 100 and 110, with all of them above that. So um, I, I really think that he's the top option um, for Trelaw owners, is, is Lockie Neal. And not only that, he's a little bit of a nice POD in only 6% of teams. So uh, for me, Lockie Neal, number one. Uh, if I had to, to pick the next one, JPK has gone under the radar uh, unfortunately for me, Bryce Mitchell posted it on his Twitter when I was like saving up to say it on the podcast because no one else had mentioned it. So um, thanks for, for all of your good stuff and spoiling uh, my, my podcast rounds, Bryce. Um, JPK has gone 112 average uh, in the last, I think it's eight or nine weeks. So he's also somebody that's only 530K who's just under the radar as well. And you know, it's JPK. He comes home strong every single season. It's the same. Like, he's, he's just going to do that um, 110 for the rest of the season as well. So he's somebody to look at. And lastly, Mitch Duncan, um, I think he's, he's 567K. So he's a bit more pricey than the others. So I would definitely prefer to get somebody like Lockie Neal. I don't really think Duncan is in that 110 to 115 range. I still think he's more between that 105 to 110, but the topper the topper um, range of that, that's how specific I'll be, JB. I'll give you a range and then a smaller range within that range. Um, <laughs> <Stand>. But <laughs> he, he still has um, four games left at the their home ground in, in Alphabet Stadium, and they've got a couple of easy games uh, in there, and obviously behind Dangerfield and Gaz and Selwood. Um, he doesn't get much love either. So he's only in 2% of teams. So um, he's another massively under-the-radar option um, for those to consider. And uh, I think that just about covers uh, the, the ins and outs for this week, JB. Would yeah, you mind? Yeah, just quickly, um, on a couple of your players there that you mentioned. Uh, firstly, I do, as people know from last season, really, really like Lockie Neal as an option. So I think that's a genius call by you. And uh, Mitch Duncan only gone below 94 once for the season. So although he subtunned the the four times, those are very very high. Like two 97s, one 98, and the 94. The other one was an 80 against Port in round five. So has a very very high floor and is just that sort of player that you sort of consistently get those those hundred pluses, even though he's not going to go massive. Uh, and just just be happy with it, like Ed Kerno sort of thing. So I think that's another good pick by you. Sorry, now you can continue. Thank you. No, you're more than welcome to you know cut me off to uh, say nice things about what I've just said. That's <laughs> your, you go for it anytime you want, JB. Um, now I'm going to ask you a general strategy question here. 
if you desperately need the money and you want somebody that you can loophole uh, for the rest of the season, are you opposed to trading in a non-playing 102k DPP rookie, or maybe not DPP, but just 102k non-playing rookie to get the most cash out of your downgrade? Um, or would you be getting somebody that you think could play uh, for the rest of the season? Uh, that's, I mean, a good question, uh, but it's very team-specific in what your other cover is like. So, for example, if I had like an Andrew Brayshaw still on the bench and uh, was trading in an M9, sorry, obviously didn't rate Andrew Brayshaw as that M9, and then say Chad Wingard for example and midfield forward swing and I had uh, Paul Ahern and Brayshaw on my bench then I mean I'd be completely fine with getting a non-playing player knowing that you're going to have another backup there that sort of has good job security but I wouldn't be shelling out my bench for one bench option because uh, when it comes down to it and you have to make trades towards the end of the season for those injured players if you cop two injuries in one week sort of thing and, and maybe you can't cover them for whatever reason then you still need to have those sort of rookies on your bench. So, like, for example, I wouldn't be getting in two sort of non-playing players on your defensive bench to get good cover in your your forward midfield bench. Do you know what I mean? Like, it's even with the midfield bench, although there's three spots, like, if you get sort of, if you drop down to a one or two non-playing player and then another one gets injured, maybe you cover even. It's one of those ones that gets injured. You still want to have a good player there to sort of step up. Otherwise, you're looking at a zero or a trade anyway. I don't yeah, know if I explained I'm... that completely well, but I think I know what I mean. <laughs> I'm glad you know what you mean. I think you're saying don't sacrifice cover <laughs> at all costs, basically. Yeah, um, pretty much. Yeah, I think I think you do have to weigh it up, and it depends on the strength of your bench. But I really think that if you do have a solid M9, so we're saying maybe you're one of those people that trade in Rockliffe, um, then you can trade your, you know, that M11 if you want to get the most amount of cash possible. I think it's perfectly acceptable trading uh, to an M11 now, a uh, 102k non-playing M11. Definitely. Even yep. even in the back line, if you had some solid, maybe you're keeping Austin or Rice, um, who should play for the rest of the season, and you, you want to get a loophole there. It's a bit riskier, but there's definitely merit in selecting a 102k non-playing player there. Uh, sorry, I think that there's a couple of things to consider when doing that. One, what I would be doing is checking to make sure that the player that you're trading in as your 102k uh, non-playing player actually plays after your M9 or your F7 or your D7 because there's no point them locking out before your loophole player because then you'll never actually be able to loophole them. So So um, don't get a Carlton player because they get every Friday night game. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I I can lead you in steer you in the the right directions um, from from earlier in the season obviously West Coast because uh, we've we've chosen Alango uh, so we know that West Coast have a lot of late games North Melbourne as well um, a lot of people chose Tom Jeffries as their R3 so they also have a lot of Sunday night games and um, Fremantle uh, in particular have a lot of left games if you just scroll through the fixture I think they play the last game of the round like something like five of the next nine rounds or something like that um so they've they definitely play last um for the majority of them and if you if you wanted to make sure that you had a because you can not only you know um d7 and and loophole there you can also captaincy loophole with them if you want to make sure that you always have a a playing a non-playing player near the end of the round if you pair 
your Tony Olango with a Fremantle non-playing player, you actually can get the last game of the rounds in nearly every round besides two where you've got the second last game. So you're pretty much guaranteed to have, you know, perfect loopholing um, using that combination. So um, JB, speaking of perfect combinations um, of loopholing, please tell me who you think are the best captaincy and vice-captaincy options for this week. Yeah, I've been looking at captaincy options a lot during the week, and uh, my, my mind just keeps... I don't, I don't know if it's because of the big score last week, Pistol, and you'll probably tell me if that's what it is, maybe a bit of recency bias, but uh, my mind just keeps going to Patrick Cripps at the MCG. His average there is 137 for the year, which is the, the largest of anyone uh, for the season. So um, he's against Port Adelaide, who, although they've got some big inside midfielders like Power Pepper and... Uh, obviously, Ollie Wines being a big one. I don't think anyone will be able to restrict him. And when he goes forward, we're sort of a little short on matchups uh, to put on that sort of medium tall forward, like sort of midfielder that sort of just drags their opposition there. And if he's ever caught against Pau Pepper in the forward line, then he'll be, uh, I think he'll be kicking a couple of goals during the game as well. So he's my hot vice captaincy option. I don't think it'll change from him. And then uh, my captaincy option, and I don't think this should be a surprise to anyone, is Nat Fife against Brisbane. So after seeing what Josh Kelly did to them, uh, it's very, very easy to, to sort of convince yourself that Fife will be doing something similar, if not better. <laughs> uh, although that's, you know, that'd have to be a very, very big score. Fife is definitely capable, as he showed a couple of weeks ago. And uh, there's no better opposition, apparently, in the last month or so, which, uh, you know, shows good signs for our captaincy options this week. Definitely does. And Olango doesn't play, you know, at the end of the round, which is uh, a bit of a pain. So you kind of have only half the options to make your VC. Obviously, if you have someone like a, a Redman, then you're actually able to do a Gorn into a Fife, which is something I would highly recommend. Um, I think you'd, you'd struggle to go wrong doing that. Um, Honestly, I think you can, again, consider Kelly and just hope he can score 140. Obviously, the form he's in, um, he's someone I would strongly consider. Dangerfield as well um, against the Bulldogs is somebody that we know has that high ceiling that just hasn't really got there um, this year. So I feel like, again, if it's your VC, you, you can take a bit of a punt. At the end of the day, Fife against Brisbane um, over, over um, in Perth, it's just would make sense to choose him or Neil as your captains. Um, I don't think you can go too far wrong with them. So uh, for me, I'm just going to be going with the player that I think's got the highest ceiling, whether that's uh, a Titch, a Kelly, or Dangerfield. I still don't know which one it is, JB, so I'm not being very helpful. But um, yeah, at the end of the day, it's most likely I'm just going to take five regardless. So um, yeah, I think this week's probably going to be one of those weeks where everyone ends up with the same captain. So uh, not too much to play around, JB, with this week. Well, what if I told you there was a player out there with a 124 three-round average that plays against a team who does not tag and conceded a 120-plus score in a loss this week uh, in Essendon. What would you think of that as a captaincy option? What if I told you there's a defender at 430k with a five-round average of 88 because they have a 51, but all the others are 110, 111, 85, and 83, and I forgot to put them in the crazy basket in Daniel Rich. Then I would respond with, what does that have to do with my question? 
<laughs> nothing, but I just completely forgot. I had him down in my list as part of the, the crazy option uh, and just forgot to mention him. So I thought that would be uh, the, the perfect time. That was the um, worst time because I just yeah, asked you a question. Probably the worst time. Uh, no, Higgins actually is a good captaincy. I don't know if he is a good captaincy option, JB, because you can't really vice-captain him into you know, somebody like into a fife, you kind of have to do somebody into Higgins and that just feels wrong, JB. It feels really wrong. Well, if Juro um, is dropped this week, then I will do the, the Higgins into fife, I think. Yeah, but you only get the first half to look at the score. I think if, if he's <laughs> dropped, you're better off doing a, a gone into a fife. But, Fine, uh, I'll I do wait appreciate until North have an early game, okay? Jeez. Yeah, I, I, I appreciate that effort. Um, JB, I might jump into the, the Cancer Council, actually, because it's now the end of the buys, so we have to wrap up, not wrap up the Donate for Donuts, but people get less donuts, obviously, throughout the season than through the buys. So this was our, um, I guess, a special period of time for us because we got so many donations, and it's just absolutely wonderful. Um, just getting heaps um, in the last week or so. So... We're now up to uh, 17000 17, I wish, uh, $1,727.66. Um, I don't believe that includes Chizo's, um donation. Um, I think it's $100 for his $50 per donuts, and he, he copped two of them in the buys. So um, we're, we're really close to the 2000 mark, and that's just absolutely unbelievable. Um, we've got quite a few donations to get through in the last week, so um, we'll, we'll get cracking, JB. Um, a big shout out to Al Payton, actually, of the, the Herald Sun. Um, he donated for the donut and um, he, um, yeah, just thank thank you for it. I'm, I'm shocked and, you know, over the moon um, that you're, you're getting around this cause as well. And, you know, that it's obviously got reach to some, some important people. That's uh, always nice, JB. Um, to Adrian Maldoon, um, he's... Paying up for listening to the podcast, which we also really appreciate because he didn't cop a donut, but he's still willing to donate for a donut. Um, the donuts being us, um, <laughs> as we give him zero knowledge. No, um, it's just because he's enjoyed the podcast. That's uh, that's all good stuff. Um, to Anonymous, thank you for yours. Again, that's uh, Anonymous, the um, you know crime, I guess they call themselves the security group, have donated a little bit to the, the cause, which has been uh, fantastic. Um, Kerry Hassall. I'm sorry if I mispronounced your name, um, but it was a great comment. I must say, I'm going to read it out. 12 straight Sean Lemons donuts wasn't the ideal start to my season, but great to have the man back. So um, <laughs> he did donate for 12 donuts, um, which is fantastic news. I'm glad Lemons is back into that Gold Coast side because obviously Kerry was really struggling um, before that. So that's that's fantastic. Um Supercoach Elites also donated, um, which is great to see, you know, other um, Supercoach pages get behind a great cause. Obviously, it all goes to the Cancer Council, so um, fantastic, and thanks, boys, for getting behind that. Appreciate uh, you also promoting the Donate for Donuts campaign. And again, to now probably my personal favorite, he's donated, I think, five times this year. Uh, and not even for donuts, just because he's a generally good bloke. It's Andrew Levesque, and I can pronounce his name perfectly now, just because I'm so used to it, because he's donated that many times. Um, so thanks so much again, Andrew Levesque, for uh, it's the kind words and suggesting that our podcasts actually do help you, um, so it's worthwhile donating. So I really appreciate that. And to anyone else that's thinking of donating, um, if you could 
help us push towards that 2k mark as well that's just going to be a very successful uh, season for us for the for the cancer council campaign jb yeah and i feel a little bad myself uh, i've got five higgins sub tons to donate for but when i did pledge that at the start of the season i thought he would be um, more of a generous person and uh, sort of just play at 50%. I mean, he's been doing that for a lot of the season. A lot of those 120s were at 50%, but I thought he'd do it more often and put out a couple of 90s just to help the Cancer Council. But um, unfortunately, I'm just at $50 so far, so it's not looking like I'm going to have to donate into triple figures like I uh, assumed I would be. So, um, yeah, I mean, it, it all is for a great cause, and we do appreciate every donation that we receive. Uh, mine and Chizos are still to come, and yours, Pistol, for having zero trades per round uh, is almost soon to come as well. Uh, <laughs> I know, I'm very close. <laughs> <laughs> so we're all getting around it ourselves as well, and, yeah, it's it's a brilliant cause, and, yeah, just, just thank you again to everyone. And if you want to ask us any questions, obviously, feel free. You can find us um, on, on the Facebook page, or if you need to on Twitter, you can find our Twitter handles at JB underscore DRSC. Um, if you want some more i guess dirty defender basket case talk you can find myself at pistol underscore drsc you don't want if that. you want i shouldn't have said dirty that was that was a mistake <laughs> I, I, I said the rest of the uh thing right but then i've just yeah lost the plot a little bit um if you want cheese advice you can find cheese underscore dic with a z um get around him on twitter and i think that pretty much sums it up jb um hopefully you make it through um round 15 and you know we can score those big 2300 2400 marks because we've pretty much got full primo sides yeah yeah very close to and i wish the same for you and to the community so we'll be talking to you guys all next week so uh, right into the AFL, complain about the Thursday night game because it has robbed you of uh, three, two podcast weeks in a row, I think. So not ideal, but catch us later.